0: Well, thank you, Mita, for that prayer. I uh, really appreciate that. Well, if this is your first time uh, with us at Grace, uh, this is a great time to join us. Uh, beginning a brand new sermon series entitled It. We're going to discover what is it. Now, I know that sounds kind of like an Abbott and Costello routine, you know, who's on first. But as we go through these weeks, I think you'll really be blessed by what the Scripture tells us about what an it person is and what an it church has. So if you'll join me in prayer, if you feel comfortable extending your hands as a sign of receptivity to the word, and just allow me to pray for this message. Father, uh, this is your word, and uh, these are your people. I pray, Lord, that there would be a co-joining, a marriage between your word and each listening ear, each listening heart. Uh, to this today. Father, may you help us discover from your word what it is to be a person that has it and what it is to be a church that has it. That's my prayer. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move among us today. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, as you would expect, some people have it and some people don't. Some churches have it. Many churches don't. Everyone is looking for it. Some find it, and some don't. When searching for it, people look in different places. Do you find it in relationships, careers, money, status, and people are always looking for itness in our society. Now, I, I did a little uh, web search to find out who the really it people are today, and it uh, does kind of show that uh, as uh, a society, we're kind of shallow, but here's the it people that you find most searched on the uh, internet. Justin Bieber. All I can say about that is, really still? Justin Bieber? Okay, Justin Bieber. Beyonce. Okay, I get that one, right? Taylor Swift. Selena Gomez. Kevin Hart, the comedian. Very funny. Here's one Cristiano Ronaldo. He is the most looked at human on the internet. He is a Portuguese soccer player. I mean, n- nobody has searched more on the internet in the world than Cristiano Ronaldo. Kanye West, John Legend, love him, Kim Kardashian, really still Kim Kardashian, okay, come on society, and Cardi B. And I have to say to that one, I must be old because I have no idea who Cardi B is. Now, uh, on the it-o-meter, uh, we seem fairly shallow as a society. I mean, on that list, there's no world leaders, no m- military leaders, no political leaders, just entertainment people and soccer players. <laughs> we seem pretty shallow. Are these it? Now, I just want to try something here. Now, we have a massive audience of, I think, seven people here today. Uh, I'd like you to turn to someone and ask the question, "Who?" has it? Or what does an it person have? Now at home, you turn to each other and ask, what is it about an it person? What characteristic about an it person? So take a minute and do that right now. (laughs) Okay, that's enough time. Okay, out in this audience, what does an it person have? Mrs. Cross. Charisma, good. Something else. Money. Yes. Make impact for either positive or negative. Impact for positive or negative. Money. Money, yeah. And as we discovered, uh, you just have to be a beautiful person or have beautiful talent, right? Um, so that is kind of what our society sees is an it person. Charisma, innate leadership, beauty, athletic ability. What about a church or a ministry? Do you know a church that has it? Does our church have it? A church that has it, I believe, is a church that is alive, dynamic, teeming with life. And as we all know, some churches have it and some churches don't. Some churches are dead. They're lifeless. Did you know that approximately 5,000 churches close every year in America? By now you're probably asking the question, and you should be, okay, what is it? Uh, Dwayne, give us the answer. Well, get out your notepaper and your pencils and get ready to take notes. Here's my answer, and it's profound. I don't know. In fact, I mean, I have some ideas. I have some thoughts. I've been searching scripture. So I have a lot of things going on in my head. But the actual answer in one word is I don't know. I have ideas, opinions. Now, here's what I do know. If you've ever been part of a ministry or a church that had it, you know that you were part of something special, right? Right? In other words, you know it when you see it, and it was an awesome work of God that could not be contained or harnessed, and often it couldn't even be explained. Now, let's look at our history a little bit in the United States. Uh, going back to the Great Awakening, 1740 to 1750 approximately, the great Jonathan Edwards, you know, uh, you know, uh, he, he would preach. And by the way, Jonathan Edwards was not much of an orator. He couldn't hardly see. And so he would go like, th- he would look at his notes like this the whole time. You know, I don't know how sinners in the hands of an angry God got to be really powerful by reading it like this, but that's the way it did. But what it was happening was, Thousands of people, especially on the East Coast, thousands of people were being converted to Christ during this first great awakening. And then there was another second great awakening in 1880, and and this was influenced a lot by George Whitfield and others from Europe. But uh, another great awakening where hundreds and thousands of people came to Christ, a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And then 1906... The Azusa Awakening. Anybody ever heard of that? The Azusa Awakening? Okay, this was actually started by William Seymour, an African-American preacher in Azusa, California. There were seven men sitting around, studying the Bible, praying, being together. And the way they described it was that each of them was hit by a lightning bolt, knocked them out of their chairs. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's what they all said. And from that point on, for 15 years... The power of the gospel and the power of the spirit infected Southern California like nothing or no one has ever seen. And most recently in my day, starting in 1965, this modern day Jesus people, hippie movement, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel movement all kind of happened all around the same time. Uh, This was a powerful time when, again, hundreds and thousands of especially young people were coming to Jesus from 1965 to about 1973. And an amazing outpouring of the Spirit. When you see it, when you experience it, you know it's real. At our last midwinter conference back in February... We were talking about in one of the plenary sessions, talking about how that 95% of all churches, all Christian churches, uh, Protestant and Catholic, all churches are declining. 95%. 5,000 churches a year are closing their doors. There's only a couple of denominations that show very modest growth. And I will say, and I'm proud of this, that the Evangelical Covenant Church, along with the Assemblies of God, those are two of the very few churches that are showing some growth. They're not declining some modest growth. And I'm very, very proud about that. In fact, one of the reasons that's happening is because as a denomination back in the 1970s. We decided to become more diverse and we have welcomed into our covenant family many African-American churches, many uh, uh, Hispanic churches, many Asian churches, and many churches that are very, very uh, invested in the gospel. So that's one of the reasons that our church is growing. But But the church is declining as a whole. So we need to look at what it is, what it is in the church, and what it is in your life, in your personal life. So in the coming weeks, and I'm going to need your help with this, we're going to be investigating what it is, and we're going to find out how to get it, how to find it, how to embrace it, and maybe the most important thing, how to keep it as individuals and as a church. So we're going on an it crusade, and along the way, I'm going to need your help. Uh, I'd like to know what you feel about what it is to be have an it person in your life, or what it means for you to be an it person. What does it mean to have an it church? I'd like to hear from you, uh, emails, uh, texts, uh, send them to me, because I'll be using some of those comments in my sermons in the future. So I need your help to find out what it is. So let's dig in, and let's look at the most important part of itness. The question is this, where does it come from? Think of some things that cannot be observed directly, but can be seen only indirectly or by effect. When Sherry and I were in Sedona, we were in this, um, I guess they called it what, a boutique hotel? Uh, They call it that when they don't Feed your breakfast, okay? So uh, that's where we were. We were on the third story, and our little deck looked out over these amazing, were they pine or cypress trees? Uh, they were all kinds of trees in the mountains, the red rocks in the back. It was amazing. It was beautiful. But there were times, uh, I think yesterday morning or the day before, we were out there, and the wind was blowing, and those trees were just going like this. Now, we couldn't see the wind, but we could see the effects of the wind. How about gravity? Uh, When I was in the sixth grade, I was playing Tarzan and I fell out of a tree and I broke my arm and uh, I learned my first real good lesson about gravity. Can't see it, (laughs) but you know it's there. Or how about freedom? Or how about um, COVID-19? Can't see it unless you're a microbiologist, but we certainly see the effects of it, right? Magnetic force field, truth, in spite of what Jack Nicholson said, you know, you can't handle the truth. Infinity, the Spirit of God, it. Things you can't see, but you know are there. Listen to what John, the gospel writer, wrote in John chapter 3. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear It's sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The most important factor in being an it person or an it church is the Spirit of the living God. The presence And the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life, and in the very life of a ministry or a church. The Spirit of Christ within us. How do you know when a church has it? uh, My freshman year of college, uh, I graduated from high school in 1966 I started college uh, the following September, actually the following late August. I was still just 17 years old, didn't turn 18 until September 7th. But here I am, a 17-year-old college freshman, and I decided that I needed to figure church out. The church I grew up in was very legalistic, very um, very um, kind of unkind towards anything that they didn't believe was right. Uh, very graceless. And that's the church that I grew up in. And I just knew there had to be more. My parents told me there was more. And so I decided I was going to go on a church hunt and find a church just for me, not for my family, not from the church I grew up in, but a church for me. And so I went on a search. Let me tell you about two of the churches I visited. The first one was a very large Presbyterian church, not too far from the San Diego State University uh, College campus. And um, it was a beautiful church. And I went with one of my friends from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, the, uh, the college ministry that I was involved in. And we went there. Now, this was back in the day, 1966. I had long blonde hair. No comments. I had hair. I mean, I was, I was you know, Fabio before he existed. So, you know, this long and blonde hair. And so we went to this place, and we just had jeans on and T-shirts and like that. And you should have seen the way these people looked at us. I mean, we did not dress right, our hair was not cut short enough, I took a little New Testament with, my Bible was obviously not big enough, no suit, no tie, and here was the worst part, we weren't wearing wingtips, (laughs) for the last hundred years, if you were at church, you wore wingtips, and so we went to this church, they all looked down on us, by the way, not a Soul said anything to us. We were ignored. These dirge like hymns, oh Lord, put me to sleep. It was a dispassionate, uninteresting sermon. Ritual that was unfamiliar to me. I was raised in a very low church, this was kind of a high church. Everything was unfamiliar, everything felt wrong. But listen to this they had everything at least that you think you should have as a church. They had the facilities. They had staff everywhere, all in their suits and ties and wingtips, I might add. Uh, they, they had programs. They had a huge budget. They had the best of everything. But they did not have it. And then on another Sunday, uh, my friend and I went to a small independent startup church it was kind of what we would call today a hippie church. And it was mostly young people, mostly young college students. And that's who we were. And we went there and we discovered right away that we didn't fit in there either. I mean, we were kind of normal looking. And these guys were, man, they had their madras out and their hair and the no shoes. and It was the whole deal. And so we went to this church. But, but uh, here, here's what we discovered. A warmth and a genuine interest. And who we were, two young college freshmen. Singing that was passionate, albeit not very good. A message that was real, authentic. I mean, I, I said when I heard this guy preach, I said, this guy really believes what he's talking about. At the end of the service, dozens of people, and this is a church of maybe 200 people, dozens of people gave their hearts to Jesus. There was this sense of a, 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 a feeling, a buzz, something. I'm not into emotionalism. I'm, I'm not into sentimentalism. It wasn't that. But there was something going on that I could only say was the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That church had zero facilities. They were in a strip mall. They had a, a, an old-fashioned, um, you know, mimeograph that printed out some bulletins. Uh, they had this crank thing that you did, you put in the slides to show the music, and it was just ridiculous. Their chairs were beaten up and tattered. They didn't even have coffee. I mean, they had nothing. But they had it. What I discovered is that it has very little to do with buildings and environments, and websites, and equipment, but something other. Aren't we discovering that these days during COVID-19? That even though we can't be in our church, in our beautiful facilities and experience all that, that we've still found a way to be connected to each other? And more importantly, we've still found a way to be connected with the Holy Spirit. I I wish that sometimes you could be on some of these Zoom calls I'm on our staff meetings, we have a, a, a wonderful time of prayer every week. At our FT meetings, we always have... Well, there was one time we didn't have enough time for enough prayer, so Rod called a second staff meeting, a second FT meeting just for prayer. In our, in our reopening team, uh, we always have this powerful time of prayer. We recognize, even though we don't have all the markings of a successful church because we can't be together that there's still something going on here that I would call it. Something other. A moving. An anointing. Open arms to our Heavenly Father. The presence of the eternal, life-changing spirit of the living God. Let me pick out a few biblical examples for you. Samuel spoke to the prophet. Samuel the prophet spoke to Saul. And this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power. And you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. The Spirit of the Lord will come down. This is from 1 Samuel 10.6. The Spirit of the Lord will come down upon you. And you will be changed into a different person. You will have it. How about Ezekiel, eleven nineteen? I will give them an undivided heart, and put a new spirit in them. I will remove them from them the heart of stone, and give them a heart of flesh. An undivided heart. That Presbyterian church that I visited, they were waiting for brunch. That hippie church I visited, they were waiting for the Spirit of God to fall upon them and to young people being saved, it, an undivided heart. In 1973, um, Sherry and I were married in 1970, I was a youth pastor then, I had a degree in mechanical design engineering and decided to go into the ministry, uh, go figure. And um, for the first two years, I was a small church as a youth pastor. Then I was called to Mount McGill Covenant Church as a pa- youth pastor, <clears throat> and within a year, uh, something happened. And, I, and I'll be very honest with you: I think it had almost nothing to do with me. I mean, I was a willing servant. I had no Bibli- I had no Bible education. Again, my degree was in mechanical design engineering, but I loved kids, and I wanted to be a servant. And so we used to have these Wednesday, remember these, honey? We used to have Wednesday night Bible studies in this dark, dank, dusty basement of Mount McGill Covenant Church. Uh, You know, not very big, probably 20 by 20. And every Wednesday night, we would cram 50 to 60 high school kids in that basement. And I'm telling you, I don't know what happened but every Wednesday night we would open the scriptures. I remember we studied Matthew for a year. We'd open the scriptures and the spirit of God would just move. There was not a Wednesday night where several teenagers didn't come to Christ. Not a single Wednesday night. It went on for a year. You say, "Well, where did those kids come from? They came from our kids that invited their unchurched friends and their unsaved friends and their druggy friends and their shoeless friends, and they invited them to come come to this we're having a Bible study. that sounds boring. Well, come and just check it out. And the spirit of the living God fell upon that place every single. Again, I don't know really what happened except that God desired to pour out His blessings and to pour out his spirit on that church. Listen to Joel 2.28. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. Peter used that passage in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. Now, you know what happened on Pentecost. This is Acts chapter 2. We won't take time to read it, but you can read it on your own. So Acts chapter 2. So the disciples are gathered together in this room, and uh, and they were praying and getting ready and to, to, to Jesus going to preach. And, and all of a sudden, or excuse me, Jesus was, uh, Peter was going to preach. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God came down upon them. The Bible says it was like this wind came just blowing through the room. And then it was like uh, tongues of fire or flames of fire just landed on each one of these, kind of like the Azusa uh, revival of 1907. And, 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 and these tongues of fire on each of the disciples. And they began speaking in languages that they didn't know. Parthian, Medes, Italians, Greeks, Arabs, all of these different languages, they started speaking. And then, and then they started, and all these people started hearing this noise and they came over. This guy's telling me about Jesus in my own language. And this guy's telling me about Jesus in my own language. And the people were just amazed. And Peter got up and he preached the most powerful sermon about how that Jesus died and was resurrected and that you can be saved by knowing. And at the end of that message, listen to this. The Bible says that 3,000, and in those days they only counted men. 3,000 men, probably six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 people, including women and children, gave their hearts to Jesus on that day. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not great preaching. That's not doing the right thing, being in the right place at the right time. That's calling upon the Holy Spirit to come and make a difference in people's lives. The Spirit was poured out on every believer. And we find out in the book of Acts that when you give say yes to Jesus, you are inviting not just Jesus into your life, but the Holy Spirit into your life. You don't have to have a second act of grace. When you say yes to Jesus, you get all of God. <laughs> you get all of Him. Listen to Romans chapter 8. For all who le- were led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You received God's Spirit, listen, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. When you said yes to Jesus, you received God's Spirit. Now we call on Him, Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. At the moment that you say yes to Jesus, you have the Spirit of God within you. So that begs the question, why is it that sometimes you don't feel like you have it? Why is it sometimes you don't act like you have it? The Spirit of God is alive in you. 1 John 4.13, we know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Christ in me, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me. It people are people who not only know They have the spirit of the living God in them. They live it. They surrender to it. They say yes daily to the spirit of God filling their lives. And how about a church? Well, 20 years ago, uh, last March, I was uh, lying on a sofa in Plymouth, um, Arizona, Plymouth, Minnesota, uh, I had just been recently uh, reordained by the Covenant Church after my gambling addiction. And um, I was ready to receive a call from a church waiting for the phone to ring. Didn't ring very much, right, honey? There was one church that called me from Kansas, kind of a small church. And the problem with that is that there was a church from Kansas, right? No, that's not true. Uh, it just wasn't a good fit for me, but I wasn't the phone wasn't ringing off the hook. And then I get a call from this church in Chandler, Arizona. A church of 30 people in a strip mall. And they don't have any money and uh, and they don't their facilities are really weird and uh, it wasn't much, but when I remember talking to their search team and I remember thinking as I asked questions like how how passionate are you about reaching the lost in your community for Jesus. And I remember hearing some of them talk, some of them with tears. That's what we've always, that's what we desire more than anything. We desire that God's spirit just pours out on this little church and that we make an impact for the kingdom of God and I remember thinking that I said well this doesn't make any sense at all they can't even afford my salary they said we can pay your first three months but after that we're just gonna have to see where it goes but Sherry and I moved out to Arizona to Chandler Arizona this little strip mall next to Floridino's on Alma School in Galveston and um, and we started meeting with these people and um, I remember that early on we said um, that some of the people said listen uh, we, we don't know really how to do this church growth thing, but we will do anything to win one more pe- person for Jesus Christ. Uh, we brought on a, a, a part-time associate. His name was Brad Kindle, And Brad and I sat down. He said, okay, what are we, how do we want to strategize to build this church? And Brad said something so simple and so profound. He said, let's just be a church that looks like Jesus. Let's be a church that looks like Jesus. Because if we look like Jesus, we're going to be loving people in such a way, serving people in such a way that they will ask us why, and we will tell them why. It was an exciting time. We built the church building that they're in now uh, two years later, and the church grew to 450 within four years. There was all of this excitement and everything. You say, well, where did all the people come from? I'll tell you where. People that were touched by the Spirit of God invited their friends to come to the church, just like that hippie church in 1966. People that knew that God was alive was inviting their unsaved friends, their unchurched friends, their business associates, their schoolmates. Come to church. Well, it's just a little church. We're just in the strip mall. We're moving into a building, but it's not that great facility. Just come and be part and see what. And every Sunday it seems like somebody was saying yes to Jesus. I remember one time we were still in the strip mall and Donna Tafe, she's gonna be with the Lord now, she was a prayer warrior. And she loved prayer, and we had prayer every Tuesday uh, that for lost souls. It was a, a wonderful experience. And one Sunday, she said, "Can I give my testimony on a Sunday morning?" I said, "Sure, Donna." At that point, we were running three services in the strip mall. We had like uh, 170 people, and there was it only sat about 50 people. And, uh, and so we, you know, we were social distancing without even realizing it. And, uh, and so we, we, she said, okay, can I give my test? So she did. And she got up there and she started to preach (laughs) about prayer. And it was so boring. And I thought, oh man. And I, and Brad in the back was going like this to Donna. And she just go like that. Oh, Brad, you silly. And so she talked for an hour and all I could do after it was over is say, thank you, Donna. Let's have the benediction. My sermon went out the window, the music, everything. And I thought, to Brad, I said, what a total waste of time. What, this was just ridiculous. And then we found out later, out in the parking lot, Donna was out there with two young women who had come for the first time to our church, and she led them both to Christ. 70% of all churches never have one convert in a year. I want you to hear that again. 70% of all churches, Catholic and Protestant, never have one convert in the year. The Spirit of God poured out upon people and poured out upon a church means everything. When I was a, a child growing up in Crest Community Church, it was that, that was the legalistic church I told you about. There was an old uh, curmudgeon, uh, Worden Conway, a lawyer, severe man, And one word he always used, I I thought was a wonderful word just because I like to say it. Okay, how many of you have used or heard the word unction? Okay? Yeah, four people. How many use it daily? Okay, none of us. (laughs) Unction, okay? Uh, What it means is the anointing of the Holy Spirit on an individual. It's one of those, I can't manufacture it, but people know it when it happens. Paul experienced it in Thessalonica. He said, our gospel came to you not only with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. That word deep conviction is the word translated unction. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. Unction. The real, transparent, transforming, honest, Allow the Spirit of God to come through you, unction of the Holy Spirit. You can't manufacture it, but the Spirit is already within you. So you can fan it into flame by simply being obedient, by simply being a servant, by simply saying, I surrender my will, my all to the Spirit that lives within me. Well, how do you get that unction? Well, there's no formula. I do know that it has a lot to do with my time alone with God. And I do know it has a lot to do with my meditation about thinking on these things, Philippians 4.8, the things that are beautiful, the things that are right, the things that are good. Like uh, G.K. Chesterton said, don't just think about God. Think magnificently about God. It's about prayer, scripture reading, meditation. All these things help that unction be fanned into flame. Oh, certainly we have to remove hindrances. If we have any blocks in our soul, we need to confess those sins. And But there has to be that openness to the Spirit of God. So when we were in um, San Diego, we were up in Escondido actually at a timeshare. And uh, one evening... Uh, This was a timeshare was Sherry and I, our son Nathan, who now has moved to San Diego to go to a school of ministry, and then his three uh, children, oldest children, Jaden's 22, Tristan's 20, McKenna's 18, all three of them in college in Georgia, and each of them brought their significant others, okay? So six young college students, Nathan, Sherry, I, and these two condos, and it was Crowded, but it was pretty amazing to have all these kids around. And then one night, my nephew Aaron, I told you about Aaron a few weeks ago, the guy that was in prison, that was transformed by the power of the Spirit of God. He was there, his girlfriend, his mother, my sister Colleen, Nathan. We sat around in a big circle and we did the examine. And the examine is an ancient practice, an ancient spiritual practice that uh, you invite the presence of God into your group, into your circle. And then you, have, you start out by just telling people, you know, share, what is it that gives you life today? And what is it that takes life away? Well, we never got to the takes life away thing <laughs> because as people started sharing, our son started sharing and just broke down in tears. Aaron, uh, this guy that uh, has had his life completely transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and these kids, and they all just kind of poured out their hearts. It was palpable. The presence of the Holy Spirit in that room, the unction of the Holy Spirit in that room. You can't manufacture it, but it comes when people surrender their lives and their hearts and their wills to the power and the presence of the Spirit within you. Calvin Miller said it this way The Spirit never comes as a result of effort, He comes as the result of a soul's desire. Soul's desire. Although it's undefinable, at least at one level, it has to do with the Spirit of God that is alive within me. And you say, well, how do you know when somebody has it? Well, you know, when the Spirit of God comes alive in you, the Spirit of God is wanting to live out the life of Jesus. And to live out the life of Jesus, Jesus made it very clear at the end of his ministry to the disciples. He said, uh, he washed their feet, he served them. He said, now I'm going to go to the cross and die. And he uh, I want to leave you one word. I want to give you one new commandment, right? All the other commandments, they were good for their time. But this is one new commandment that just kind of takes over all the other commandments. And it's this. I want you to love each other the way that God in Christ has loved you. I want you to love each other the way God in Christ has loved you. And how did God in Christ love you? By washing your feet. By literally taking your sins upon his shoulders and dying on the cross for you. That is a kind of love. That's not a puppy love. That's not a feel-good love. That's not a romantic love. That's a love that gives and serves and says, I will do anything to help you understand how much God loves you. When you have it, that is the way that you live your life. Because God has claimed and told us that we are to love each other the way God in Christ has loved us. It always begins with you and me. Standing before a loving, grace-filled, arms wide open, before the Lord Jesus Christ, Saying, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Jesus said it this way in Revelation 3.20, and I'm reading from the message. Jesus said, look at me. Right now, look at me, Jesus said. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me, if you hear me call, now Listen and open the door that's the door of your heart, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Holy Spirit, in this moment, in this place, and in every place where there's a listening ear, I pray that you would do your work right now. You've told us that when we say yes to Jesus, that the Spirit of God comes to live within us. And right now, Lord, with open arms, with open hearts, we ask you to fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with the love that Jesus showed to us that we're to show to others. Fill us with the hope. Fill us with a sense of repentance and forgiveness and renewal and restoration. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us. I would just like to pray as your eyes are still closed and your heads are bowed. If there's someone in our audience today listening that has never said yes to Jesus, and so some of this message even sounds a little bit weird, a little bit foreign, but if there's someone, now, now if you're feeling something right now, that's probably the Spirit of God talking to you, saying, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you hear that voice of God in your life right now, I just want to give you a simple prayer you can pray. And it's this Dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk in the light and life of Jesus. Grant me peace that I've probably never known in my life. And most of all, Lord, allow the Holy Spirit to come into my life and fill me and fill me with light and life and abundance and joy, all of the things that you promised to your children. And so by faith, even though I just have a small amount of faith the size of a mustard seed, by faith I say yes to Jesus and I receive him to my heart and to my life right now. And I pray this in his name. With your head still bowed, I just want to give you a moment if you just need to do some work with the Spirit of God, calling you, searching for you, calling your name. I just want to give you a moment of silence just to have time to let the Spirit speak to you. Jesus says, look at me. I stand at the door. I knock. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. We pray this, Father, in your Son's precious name. Amen.